not. I, I think I'd rather Love not. Okay. Thanks for thinking. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our A Course in Miracles virtual class with Robert Rosenthal, M.D. In these segments, Dr. Bob and I break down specific sections to help you gain a deeper understanding of the concepts of the course. Throughout 2017, we discussed Chapter 16 and Special Relationships. Today, we'll delve into Chapter 17 and Holy Relationships, so I'm very excited to be able to go through this chapter. If you're new to the show, Dr. Bob was a practicing psychiatrist and psychotherapist for 32 years before retiring to take on his position as co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of A Course in Miracles, having served on the Foundation's board of directors since 1992. He was introduced to the course in 1975 at the age of 20 by Judy Scutch and became a close friend and protege of Dr. Bill Setford. Dr. Bob is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, published by Hay House. And the book interprets the biblical story of Moses and, and Pharaoh as a parable of the mind's struggle to escape ego and identify once again with spirit. It is recommended, certainly by me, that you read this book prior to studying A Course in Miracles or to effortlessly deepen your understanding of the abstract concepts presented in A Course in Miracles. To read excerpts of Dr. Bob's book, visit from plaguestomiracles.com. If you would be so kind, you can send your feedback about these segments through spiritualinsightsradio.com. And we would love to hear your thoughts. If you're on social media, you can follow the show on Twitter at Char Spicer and on Facebook at From Plagues to Miracles. Well, join me in welcoming Dr. Bob back to the show for our continued segments. Hello, Dr. Bob. Welcome back. How hey, are you? Char. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, we missed a month there. Things got very, very crazy, and um, and now we're back. <laughs> and now we're back. Post-chaos. So it was pretty yes, chaotic. Energy. A lot of people are having a hard time, so it's understandable. And um, oh, yeah. I'm just excited. I'm so excited to get into holy relationships now. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year we, we read uh, – chapter 16 and really dissected um, specialness and the special relationship. Uh, This year we're just continuing into chapter 17, which is titled forgiveness and the holy relationship. Uh, And, you know, clearly this is one of the cornerstones of a course in miracles. So, so it's, it's going to be a great transition and I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. So once again, for the listeners with, this is where we're picking up chapter 17, forgiveness and the holy relationship Section 1, Bringing Fantasy to Truth. 
So if you want to take your books out and listen along with us. Okay. You know, before we start, um, Mm -hmm. apropos of your introduction, I realize I have two things I should let our listeners know. Um, One, From Plagues to Miracles, my first book, um, was briefly out of print, but I have now, um, I think, successfully reprinted it. It should be available in a fresh new edition um, that is essentially the same as the old with only a few little corrections in it um, through Amazon. And, uh, uh, you know, I self-published it through CreateSpace, but the design, the cover uh, remain the same. So that should be available. If it's not and you can't get it, then please let me know by um, emailing me at rsr at fromplagues2miracles.com because I would want to know that. The second thing is that I do have another book coming out. It was supposed to actually be released in about two weeks, um, but some craziness with my publishing company getting bought out and then deciding not to get bought out um, will absolutely push the release date back. But the title of this book is From Nevermind to Evermind, the Transforma- Transforming the Self to Embrace Miracles. And this is the first book in what I hope will be a five-book series devoted to explaining the principles of A Course in Miracles to people who aren't as familiar with it. But of course, in doing that, it also makes the principles stand out all the more clearly, even for um, you know those of us who've been working with the material for decades and decades. I'm pretty happy with the book. I think it approaches the course and its principles from a very different and fresh perspective. You don't have to know anything about the course. And if you um, read it and, and, and come to the course already understanding what, what kind of its core ideas are, then all of the struggle that so many students go through early on, like what the heck is this saying? You won't have to go through that in the same way. So be on the lookout for that, and, um, you know, and I will certainly – I hope it's, it, it, there's a good chance it could be out even by the next time we talk, um, but maybe not. I don't know. This one's out of my hands. Let me know. I'll so post just it bringing everywhere. everyone up to date. Yeah, I will definitely let you know. Okay. I can't wait to read it. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, I have nothing to announce. Um I'm just glad that this energy of chaotic transformation is starting to lift up a bit. So we're good. Okay. Should we just dive in or what do you want to do? Yeah. Why don't you start with uh, number one and I'll do two and we'll go from there. Sounds good. And I have my translation ready and I I did this a while ago, but my first, uh, my first uh, interpretation of paragraph one, um, it's a little lengthy, but I liked it. So I'll just read it. Okay, so here we go. Again, ladies and gentlemen, Chapter 17, Forgiveness and the Holy Relationship, Section 1, Bringing Fantasies to Truth, Paragraph 1. The betrayal of the Son of God lies only in illusions, and all his sins, quote-unquote, are but his own imagining. His reality is forever sinless. He need not be forgiven, but awakened. In his dreams, he has betrayed himself, his brothers, and his God. Yet what is done in dreams, has not been really done. It is impossible to convince the dreamer that this is so, for dreams are what they are because of their illusion of reality. Only in waking is the full release from them, for only then does it become perfectly apparent that they had no effect upon reality at all and did not change it. Fantasies change reality. 
That is their purpose. They cannot do so in reality, but they can do so in the mind that would have reality be different. Oh, delicious. Mm-hmm. That's jumping right in. <laughs> delicious. Okay. Here's my take on this. Only in the illusion can betrayal in any form be perceived, and all transgressions and offenses are a product of the mind that chooses how to perceive a circumstance based on the emotions triggered and the emotions that are attached to it. The ego determines the amount of hurt that is experienced and the size of the injustice based on the past. In the illusion, we limit our perceptions to the five senses and emotional vulnerabilities. True reality does not observe what we would consider an injustice because reality, as perceived by the Holy Spirit, only sees purpose and love. The sometimes difficult task of forgiveness is actually a pathway to conscious awareness of the truth. That being this, that claiming victory over another person or a situation to attack is not a victory at all because it entails self-sacrifice. We perceive how others betray us, but not how we betray ourselves and God by holding on to the perceptions that keep us imprisoned within the illusion. To attack another is to deny who they and you are. Our lifetimes in the illusion in the illusion, happen at a level that we think is real, but the simple truth that our existence continues on another level after physical death clearly demonstrates that we transitioned merely from one state of mind to another. If this world hosts us in our present state of mind, then that mind is able to change. It is difficult to convince the perceiver that something didn't happen as they perceived it because of their attachment to their feelings and perceptions of what reality is. Seeing events consciously allows us to see the truth, that all you experience is in your mind. The outside illusion, in most cases, shifts, but the reality of truth and love, fantasies, rearrange the picture you see in your mind so that you can feel triumphant over a perceived injustice. I would add that fantasy is a way to, to, that fantasy is a way to convince oneself that there is only one way to perceive reality, through the ego, by perceiving in light. Reality remains in the mind a powerful source of peace and self-love. Not too bad. No, not too bad at all. Um, yeah, I, I still think uh, you want to compile all of these and put them together in a book someday. Um, that's my, my request. <laughs> your, your, your encouragement warms my heart. Good, I am. good. I am. These are all, I'm going to do the whole book most likely, and um, just keep going and use this as inspiration to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's all I mean, getting filed. It's the best filed. way to do a book. Uh-huh. You know, that way you don't have to, you're not really expending, you know, a whole lot of effort all at one time. You're, 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 you're taking it, you know, in bite-sized pieces, but at the end you'll have something really wonderful. Yeah, and, and it's fun because, you know, when I'm down, when I'm feeling down and I want the listeners to, you know, latch on to this idea that sometimes when I'm feeling down, generally the first thing I do is go out and help somebody else, and that elevates me perfectly. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, other times you take out A Course of Miracles, and just at random you can douse it, and you can douse the table of contents, or just pick a section. And it really gets in. And so when I went to do just this section, I couldn't stop, and I did section two as well. So it's fun yeah, for I, me. I, I kind of moved into section two as well. <laughs> you can't stop. But anyway, yeah. okay, so what's your take no, on No, I think that point about dousing the course um, for help is a really good one. Um, one of the, the last workbook lessons goes something like, no call to God can be unheard nor left unanswered. And of this I can be sure his answer is the one I really want. The way I understand that is if you're making a sincere call for help, 
of any kind, whether it's big picture, you know, help me to wake up, uh, Holy Spirit and Jesus, or whether it's just some specific little problem that's eating away at you that you just, for whatever reason, can't seem to get your mind past, that help will come in some form that is perfectly suited to you, your personality, your um, current circumstances, your, your, your place in the world, all of that. Um, you know, when we don't get help is when we insist on the form of how that will come. Uh, you know, oh, God, please help me. You know, give me uh, the man of my dreams, and he's got to be, you know, six feet and black hair. And You know, no, no, no. You're probably not going to get it, or if you get it, it's going to have a, a lesson couched in it. So I, I agree. <laughs> Turning to the Course is a good way to, um, to, 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 to allow God's answer to come in and help you out. I just want to add All something right. funny. I yeah, just want to add something funny. Yes, God, please make him tall, dark, handsome, but also make him rich. And if you wouldn't mind, make that by noon tomorrow because I'd like to make plans for dinner. <laughs> there you go. Not asking too much there. With, and I with mean, no the problem there is we assume we know what we need, what we want and what will make us happy. And what the Course is telling us is the only <laughs> thing that will make us happy is salvation. Therefore, anything else you think you want more than salvation, as we're going to see in this section, is actually an impediment. It's going to get in the way. Whereas when you want salvation and nothing else, then all the little pieces um, of your life, all the aspects of form – line up and if a relationship shows up it may not look like what you think you want but believe me um believe me as our president is fond of saying believe me it will work for you it will be what you really want but you bring up an important you bring up an important point dr bob so i want to make a one clear distinction yeah. for the listeners um let me get my thought back um salvation when we think in terms of salvation, I want you to look at it this way, ladies and gentlemen, that we're thinking of salvation as something or some things or some person that would come along and save us from ourselves. When we're talking about salvation here, I would like to say, and Dr. Bob can either correct or, or add on to this, that when we're talking about salvation, it's salvation is truth and the true reality and the truth of God's love and the truth of ourselves, it's self-awareness of what's real and what cannot be threatened. And so I just wanted to make that distinction that exactly. people make wishes and set goals, but it's most of what we wish for is something to save us from ourselves. And so we pick and choose what that is, and it changes over time because the ego is directing it. That's all I wanted to add. Perfect, yes. Um, you know, in this first paragraph, the line that I had underlined, I guess, from the last time I went through it, is line three, he need not be forgiven but awakened, which is kind mm -hmm. of an interesting line given how much the Course focuses on forgiveness and the essential path of forgiveness as the only way out of illusion. I think here, um, you know, what, what the Course is, is trying to do is stepping out of the world of that, that we all think we live in where the forgiveness of illusions is in fact a necessity and looking at it from that perspective of the son of God, capital S uh, where, yeah, we're all 
you know, asleep, lost in dreams, not knowing how to wake up. I think an even better metaphor that wasn't available to uh, Helen Shuckman when she, you know, ch- when she uh, scribed the course is, you know, like we all signed on for this big virtual reality game and we didn't realize it was a trap. It was, you know, like brain hacking and, and it thrust us into a world, you know, like, like the movie The Matrix that we can't get out of um, because we forgot that it's just a dream. So um, anyway, I, that was the line that, that really um, leapt out at me. He need not be forgiven but awakened because I think in this context, the Course is talking about sins and putting that in quotes. And remember, uh-huh. the section on sin from the workbook says sin is insanity. You know, it's a mind that's gone mad. So the cure for sin uh, insanity is sanity and the cure for dreams is to wake up uh, so it's just saying you know we don't have to forgive our sins and make them real we just have to wake up and realize there never was a sin because as you said Shar, um, the only thing that really will help us get out of the dream is is truth I think somewhere in the text uh, it talks about how you know if someone's asleep you don't you know, go yell boo in their ear because um, you'll scare the heck out of them. Um, and, of course, if we're afraid, we go even deeper into dreams of this kind of dream, unlike sleep. You know, you, you softly whisper and you try to allow that message from, from waking reality to enter the dreamer's dream and slowly begin to make clear that, that he is dreaming. Um, now, this section goes on and talks about fantasies. Fantasies change reality. You know, that is their purpose. They cannot do so in reality, but they can do so in the mind that would have reality be different. So this, too, is talking at two different levels. It's talking at the level of our own fantasies here. You know, if I think I know what I want, and if I give myself a fantasy of it in my mind, then in a sense I have twisted reality. You know, I'm believing something or believing that I can get something or believing that maybe I already have gotten something that hasn't really happened. You know, so a fantasy in that sense blocks you from continuing to seek what you want in reality. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of a metaphor, but all I can come up with is, you know, if you if you're hungry and you go into this marvelous fantasy of eating at the best restaurant you could possibly eat at. In a way, it might sort of meet that need temporarily, but you're not really feeding or nourishing your body. You're still hungry. You've just mentally tried to convince yourself that that's not so. Um, in an earlier section where fantasy is first talked about in Chapter 1, the very first section of the course, um, the last section um, called Distortions of Miracle Impulses, it says, Fantasy is a distorted form of vision. Fantasies of any kind are distortions because they always involve twisting perception into unreality. So this takes us to the bigger level where, in a way, the Course is using the idea of fantasy as, um, again, a, a metaphor or a way to understand what we, the Son of God, did when we separated from God and the oneness of all creation. You know, we we sort of made this little fantasy that we could be separate and that in our separation, we could split into 7 billion and counting different little individuals and that each of them has their own variety of truth 
and that each of them lives in its own little world where with it, with different goals and different wants and desires and what the course is saying is that you know again fantasies change reality that is their purpose but then it adds they cannot do so in reality because you know you can't change the nature of your creation you can't change god and if you think you can that's pure arrogance and it only exists in the illusion but um but fantasies can change they can and do so in the mind that would have reality be different so the process of fantasy or the process of the separation from god in a sense makes this whole little make-believe world that we're now you know kind of trapped in by our own choice um and for us it's real for us the fantasy has become reality you know dorothy in wizard of oz travels to Oz, and it's all extremely real and scary and compelling. But at the end, as she learns from, you know, the beautiful Glenda, Witch of the North, she could have gone home at any time just by tapping her ruby slippers, and, you know, boom, she would have been there. Um, But she had to learn that, you know, the lesson through all the relationships with, uh, you know, the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion, she had to learn through these relationships to overcome the wizard of illusions uh, and, 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 and wake up to that reality. And in that reality, what happened? You know, there was a tornado. She hit her head. Um, another trauma, kind of like separation, but a little different. So uh-huh. fantasy becomes very compelling for us. But the goal is not to make the fantasy as good a fantasy as you can. This is the trap that so many New Age systems fall into, um, you know, all of that, uh, you know, power of positive thinking stuff, and you can get what you want. Well, you you can in a sense, because the fantasy is of your making, but whatever you get, because it still is, is part of that illusion, ultimately it can't satisfy, because the illusion itself isn't real. Okay, um, that's I like what I have to say that. about Paragraph one, over to you. I love, I love everything you just said, and I love using um, the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, metaphor. yeah. So, everything, in addition to everything you just said, uh, let's take what you did in From Plagues to Miracles and used Pharaoh and Moses as represent as representations of the ego and the Christ mind. And so, let's look at Wizard of Oz and the witches the two witches, the one that died and the one that was left alive, and have her represent the ego and the ego's desire to destroy and go after that which is good and holy, you know? And then in the end, she winds up destroying that demon, destroying that witch, with the simple act of throwing a bucket of water on her. Yes. And so... What something so... How can something so simple make such a big impact on something that's so scary? And so just, just to let that play in everyone's minds and, and look at how we move through this section. That's, that was really good. I like that. Yeah. It's a profound movie. Um, you know, I, I used to pretty reliably find myself in tears at the point where she realizes that she doesn't need the wizard to go home, that in fact the wizard in, in Oz is part of the illusion and perpetuates the illusion with that big, fiery, scary thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Oz offers the promise of answers, but never gives a real answer, um, even though he turns out to be a nice, you know, befuddled little man. 
Um, uh-huh. But the answer to really getting home always lies within ourselves and our within own minds. And then she you know, gets so home. So when Darcy and, realized that, I just I just start crying. I mean, yeah. you know, to me, it. It, that is the waking up. <laughs> yes. And no matter your perception, you know, home is where the heart is. And she woke up safe and sound with renewed love in her heart. And the yeah. scenario before the dream, um, she got to see it from a different perspective. So it's all good. Yeah. All yeah, right. She felt paragraph she needed two. to leave home. Exactly. Okay. Paragraph yeah. two. Um, so it is then only your wish to change reality that is fearful because by your wish, you think you have accomplished what you wish. This strange position, in a sense, acknowledges your power, yet by distorting it and devoting it to quote-unquote evil, it also makes it unreal. You cannot be faithful to two masters who ask conflicting things of you. What you use in fantasy, you deny to truth, yet what you give to truth to use for you is safe from fantasy. So here we're going from that idea of what fantasy does and what we do in dreams to um, why they're so powerful and compelling and the beginning steps of coming out of it. So it's saying that, um, you know, that only the wish to change reality is really fearful because our minds are, are actually that powerful that um, when we think we've changed reality, we have not at the level of reality, because that's, that, you know, again, that's, that's God's creation. We can't change God and um, how God created us. I mean, you know, the one line in the course that's probably repeated more frequently than any other. I mean, there are six different lessons that are titled it are, is, um, you know, I am as God created me. We can't change that. But in our minds, oh, it's a whole different story. We can create, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and yet, as the Course points out in this section, by distorting it and devoting it to quote-unquote evil, that is illusion, it also makes it unreal. When, when it says you can't be faithful to two masters who ask conflicting things of you, well, that's, that's pretty abundantly clear, and I'm pretty sure that echoes something that Jesus said in the Gospels, um, although I, I can't remember the direct quote because, you know, I was born Jewish and didn't learn that stuff. Um, <laughs> but the idea, the idea, again, is that um, you can't be devoted to waking up from the dream and maintaining the dream in a seemingly better form at the same time. You know, you can't um, fix the leak in your house and dream of fixing the leak in your house and make both of those real at the same time. Either, either you're trying to wake up and willing to wake up and ready to wake up or you're still asleep. Um, And then, you know, what it says in the end, when you use, what you use in fantasy, you deny to truth. So if we keep it back, as we'll see in the next paragraph, then the Holy Spirit can't do anything with it. You've made it real. You've put it off limits. Um, there's a, you know, uh, a line in the Course that says, you know, from what you want, God cannot save you. And all this means is you know, God honors you and your, the power of your will so much because you are his creation that if you want it, you're going to make it real, and God, through the Holy Spirit, can only stand on the sidelines and be patient until you discover that it's not what you really wanted. So what we use in fantasy, we deny the truth, but what we give to truth to use for us is not only safe from fantasy, but becomes a step back towards truth. 
And that's why the Course is telling us over and over and over again, don't hide what's inside you from Holy Spirit. Bring it forth. Bring it to Holy Spirit. Um, Expose everything to the light because in the light it transforms. And then guess what? You don't have to handle it on your own anymore Um, because you never could anyway. Why? Because the whole idea that you're on your own is part of the illusion. There is no on your own in reality. Um, You know, we're all here learning this together, but we're all actually at the deepest level, even if it doesn't look like it, we're all pulling for for each other. Um, You know, Donald Trump is teaching us profound lessons. Vladimir Putin is teaching us profound lessons. The Holy Spirit teaches through contrast. If we didn't have the contrast, we might not get the lesson. Okay, over to you, Char. Okay, here we go. Here's my take on paragraph two. Wanting to change a fearful or threatening reality is the true wish, but we don't want what we judge as positive to be touched. It is always the ego that assesses the potential for damage to itself. It's the wish itself that makes you feel that you got what you wanted. Everything is created with the same energy, but it is in how we perceive it as threatening or glorious that we assert our quote-unquote power to overcome it, reinforcing the notion that power is of the body and not of spirit. The intentional distortion in perception is the first clue that it's not real, or as you perceive it. A conflicted mind cannot produce peaceful results by upholding two directly opposed ideas within it. We've discussed that concept numerous times. When you devote yourself to the illusion, you turn your back on truth. Yet when you rely on truth, which is the only constant to be relied upon, you are safe from the shifting sands of illusion, which does not exist and can only be a kaleidoscope of variables to achieve a different outlook. What you desire to change is the discomfort you feel in your reality rather than the truth of where you are now in a spiritual sense. That's what I get. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Don't have anything to add. I think, uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Okay, so stand alone. Okay, then moving on to paragraph three. Go for it. When you maintain that there must be an order of difficulty in miracles, all you mean is that there are some things you would withhold from truth. You believe truth cannot deal with them only because you would keep them from truth. Very simply, your lack of faith in the power that heals all pain arises from your wish to retain some aspects of reality for fantasy. If you but realize what this must do to your appreciation of the whole, exclamation point. What you reserve for yourself, you take away from him, capital H, who would release you. Unless you give it back, it is inevitable that your perspective on reality be warped and uncorrected. That's deep. Okay, here's what I get. When you sustain a belief that achieving miracles involves varying degrees of difficulty, what you're really doing is trying to hide the illusions you would keep in the shadows away from the light because discovering your own errors in perception is seen as a loss. To the ego, it is, but for you, it is salvation. Imagine being underwater as our natural perceived reality. Even when it gets difficult to breathe and feel unsafe, Sometimes we don't come up for air or to experience another aspect of that reality. It is difficult to hold on to negative beliefs in some areas and have a different standard for others. All the hurts and injustices that you keep stashed away so that you can continue to look at it and relive the pain of it are only keeping you from realizing the truth of those experiences. 
And what you choose to keep cannot be taken away from you because of free will. Unless you offer your perceptions up to the Holy Spirit for correction, your reality will continue as you wish it to be, despite your complaints. Reality is a force of nature that responds to misperceptions in a way that is empowering. However, the human mind sees it as a traumatic event. All that we perceive can be a miracle with forgiveness. Your turn. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't really have that much to add. I mean, I would focus on, um, you know, sort of the last two lines of the paragraph, what, which, which, again, are a perfect echo of the last two lines of the previous paragraph. So I'm just going to read those over and then um, go from there. So what you reserve for yourself, you take away from him who would release you. Unless you give it back, it is inevitable that your perspective on reality be warped and uncorrected. And then from the previous paragraph, what you use in fantasy, you deny to truth. Yet what you give to truth to use for you is safe from fantasy. So the first, in paragraph two, it's talking in more abstract terms about truth and fantasy. In paragraph three, it's kind of um, holding us truly accountable and saying that, you know, if you think there's any order of difficulty in miracles, that is to say, if you think there is any aspect of this world of perception that you and I live in that can't be um, healed, saved, brought um, into alignment with truth and through forgiveness and the atonement, then the only reason that is so is because you are reserving it and keeping it for yourself out of it, it, it sounds like it's out of our, well, you know, that couldn't possibly be. But that statement, that couldn't possibly be, actually reflects our own unwillingness to allow it to go to truth. Um, and, in, and, and, and it makes it very personal. Unless you give it back, um, you, know, uh, you know, which is, for, you know, paragraph two says what you give to truth to use is safe from fantasy here it's going you know like a little bit further in terms of the accountability unless you give it back you make that decision to turn it over to release it to say i don't know what this is for um and therefore i don't i can't judge it i can't respond to it but i trust that you are with me holy spirit in jesus and in your vision you know what this is for and you can help me shift my perception which is one definition of what a miracle is um you can help me shift my perception so i see this differently and respond differently and in that sense contribute to the healing of the entire sonship you know unless you give it back it is inevitable that your perspective on reality be warped and uncorrected if we don't give it back Guess what? Nothing changes. It's not bad, you know. We're not we're not creating evil because that's not really within our capability. We're just delaying, and as the course says very early on, delay is of the ego because the Holy Spirit has a very different concept of time. Um, remember um, the very first pr- miracle principle. So the very first line uh, after the powerful introduction of a course in miracle is, you know, there is no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. All expressions of love are maximal. So, you know, if we return to that from what we're saying here, we have a much better understanding of it. And and it really, uh, I think, brings into focus 
just how powerful the idea of miracles really is. Um, you know, this is a course in miracles, and yet if you look up how many times miracles is used, it's actually far less than than things like you know forgiveness or learning or love. Um, and and I think the reason is that miracles are kind of how to put it, love or forgiveness in action in this world, and they are the byproduct of bringing what we believe is true, but what is really fantasy, bringing that back to truth so that it can be healed, cured, realigned, so that our insane mind, um, and, and, and that's mind with a capital M, that's the insane mind of the Son of God, can be returned to oneness piece by piece by piece. You know, how else can 7 billion fractured segments of oneness, each of which retains the memory of the entire wholeness of love, how can that return to oneness unless each one of those pieces at some time decides that that, that there's a better way, that there's another reality that, that it, it belongs to and commits itself to that waking up process? You know, I almost look at this like, like one of those old TV sets where every single little pixel is black. And one by one, you know, one little pixel sort of flips and, and lets the light through and decides that it's going to play its function. And maybe, maybe that pixel is bringing through red. And another one flips and it's bringing through green. And another one has a little bit of blue. And, you know, and, and we don't see the big picture. We can't see it until you know until all of those pixels have have flipped and are letting the light through and now you know we maybe get some beautiful image or whatever um but holy spirit has the big picture jesus knows the big picture as as the one orchestrating the the atonement um for all the rest uh, of us because in that metaphor he was the very first pixel that decided you know what um this isn't my reality. My reality is much bigger than that, and 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 made that change and allowed to and allowed the light to come through. So when the course says there's no order of difficulty in miracles, what it's telling us is that our very perception, which brings about a sense of order of difficulty, you know, I can't move that mountain. Uh, you know, no. Uh, yes, um, if the mountain absolutely needs to be moved, then the mountain will move when you allow that to happen in your perception. Um, but so many of us hear that and go, oh, well, you know, not only couldn't I do that, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to have faith the mountain will move. And, and, you know, the mountain might not move because that's not really what's called upon at that time. Um, but if you don't believe that the world is shifting in response to our miracle-mindedness, then I, I think there is a certain blindness to that. And yet the goal is not the shifting of the world. That's just a byproduct. The goal is changing your mind, um, because when you change your mind, you're linked to everyone else, and you make it that much more likely that one of those other minds, one of those other pixels, will begin to allow light and forgiveness and the atonement principle to govern what it is and how it acts and responds and behaves in the world towards its brothers, its, its, fellow, um, its fellow bits of consciousness, its fellow pixels. So oh. that's why there's no order of difficulty in miracles. That's why that is the very first principle of the Course. It's telling us the world of perception creates barriers and obstacles that we think are totally real and insurmountable, but 
it just ain't so. <laughs> you know, um, with Holy Spirit, uh, you know, with God, all things are possible. Yeah. Okay. Back Don't to focus you. on the mountain. It's, it's yeah. all about your perception of the mountain. So Perfect. mountains yeah. are mountains. It's just an aspect of the illusion. But what you, how you perceive it is all that matters. And one small shift, and let me take the size reference out of there. One shift in your perception can make a change so grand as to seem just, you know, so, so, so much, I have to say it, so much bigger than, than what you thought. But it all takes the same energy. So don't focus if on I the mountain. May, yep. that shift makes the mountain into a molehill. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Which which it was not even that to begin with. It's it's a movie of a molehill. It's 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 much smaller than that. Um, and and you know we don't need to move mountains. That doesn't serve a purpose. We need to have forgiveness. We need to heal our relationships. This is all about the fractured oneness of the of the mind of the Son of God. We we repair it through relatedness. So moving mountains might really just be a metaphor for finding that person who when you think of him or her just totally curdles your brain and makes you want to spit or kill or run away because you're so furious or afraid and saying to yourself, I may not be ready for that now, but I'd like to be ready. I would like to heal that relationship. I don't want to have these feelings. Um, That's the mountain that you have to climb. But with Holy Spirit's help, you know, because the ego is going to tell you, all right, go, go confront that person or take them to court or, um, you know, forgive them ultimately and let them keep abusing you. No, 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 no. You've got to give it to the Holy Spirit because you don't know how to heal it. He does. Jesus does. And when you turn it over, and I have seen this happen in miracles groups where someone has a really problematic relationship and they don't do anything about it in physical reality, but they change their mind about what it's for and what they thought it was. And out of the blue, that person just starts behaving differently and, you know, often comes up and says something to them that just blows their minds because they didn't know that that person, you know, like, like had any, you know, spiritual core at all or, Uh or, or remembered something beautiful about um, Uh some incident. That's how, those are the mountains that we have to, you know, transform. That I've seen that so many times when that one person makes a shift in their own mind and then how it's visible and people can feel it and there's a palpable change. And um, I also see that with my clients, Dr. Bob, I am um, an energetic healer and I've been doing a lot of work with the energy, energy field, the conscious and subconscious minds. And I, you remind me of one client who I had done some work on. And the next day he went into work and the person who was giving him the problem walked up to him and said, what happened to you? You look different. And from then on, they got along so much better, much like uh, Helen Shuckman and, and Bill, Th- yeah. And Bill yeah. Thefer. You know, something just shifted and the whole dynamic changed and everything got better. But whatever I took out of that client had to have been some kind of blame, shame, guilt, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it works, but how satisfying yeah. to be able to do this on your own or with the course and and see that manifest. It's a beautiful process. It absolutely works. And you know what? If it didn't work, I wouldn't be doing the course because what the course is telling us about, you know, our the world we live in is so upside down and and so truly crazy from the perspective that we're all born into that 
it doesn't make sense. The only way it makes sense is if you apply its principles and see the changes that happen, and that then becomes the proof that, wow, if it's happening that way, I really do need to, you know, look again at my entire understanding of what the world is. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you're trying to, um, I don't know, build um, a room or a box and your your measuring stick doesn't, you know, it's really calibrated wrong. So the walls never line up and you can't do it. And suddenly somebody says, hey, use this. And you look at it and you go, that can't be right. But you use it. Oh, now everything lines up. Now everything works. Now you can, you know, build that room or whatever. That's mm-hmm. how we know that this is true. You know, the introduction to the workbook says, you know, you don't have to believe these lessons. You don't have, you know, you don't have to agree with them. Just do them and don't make any exceptions. Apply them as they're taught and, and you'll see the results. And that is so true. Yeah. And evidence that, like that is indisputable and you can't go back from it because it's so exactly. miraculous. Yeah. You really can't go back from it. Um, I mean, it, it, it seems crazy, but it's it's so wonderful. Yeah. 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 All right, let me read paragraph four. Okay. Um, as long as you would have, uh, I'm sorry, as long as you would have it so, so long will the illusion of an order of difficulty in miracles remain with you. For you have established this order in reality by giving some of it to one teacher and some to another. And so you learn to deal with part of the truth in one way and in another way the other part. To fragment truth is to destroy it by rendering it meaningless. Orders of reality is a perspective without understanding, a frame of reference for reality to which it cannot really be compared at all. All right, so this just, you know, totally, like, you know, nails it. I mean, this is this is the whole thing. Um, and, you know, I don't even feel like I can say anything about it because it's so direct. You know, we establish or this order of reality, and the way we do it is by withholding some some things from truth. You know, we are serving two masters. We give some of it to one teacher, the Holy Spirit, and some to another, the ego. But when we do it, we're fragmenting truth. And if you fragment truth, you're destroying truth because you can't fragment oneness. It, it, it's not possible. It's not susceptible to that. So the moment you try to do that and believe that you've achieved it, boom, you've just created an illusion. You've just, um, you know, you, Dorothy has just entered the world of Oz. Um, and Oz is a pretty scary place. Uh, ask any kid uh, who tried to watch that in the 1960s or 70s. Um, so the moment we withhold anything from the Holy Spirit, we're reinforcing the illusion. We're reinforcing fear. We're making a judgment. We're dealing with truth in one way with one part and in another way with another part. And, and by the way, that's not just parts of our own mind. Those are the parts of the sonship. You know, one person deals with it one way. One person deals with it another way. Each of them thinks they're right. No, each of them is absolutely convinced that they're right. They'll argue with each other. They'll fight with each other. They'll murder each other. And the whole ugly thing goes on and on and on. You know, the Course says time has gone on so long, the world is weary. It's, it's hungry for miracles. It's thirsty for miracles. Um, but in order to, you know, really be a miracle worker, you have to accept that there is no order of difficulty in, to miracles and that orders of reality is a perspective without understanding. 
our very perception of the world, the judgments we make where one thing is big and one thing is small, um, that is not truth, and it cannot be truth. A frame, you know, it's a frame of reference for reality to which it cannot really be compared at all because reality is oneness, you know, reality oh. with a capital R. Okay, let me kick that one back to you. So okay. hear what you wrote. I want to, uh, I'll read that in a moment, but you remind me of a woman I know, an author. She wrote a beautiful book, and she had worked with Mother Teresa. Hmm. And she told me this wonderful story, and it's in the book. Um, anyway, she was working with Mother Teresa, and these extra children showed up at this orphanage. And one of the workers said, but Mother, how are we going to feed them? We don't have enough food. And Mother didn't miss a beat. Mother uh, Teresa spun her head around, looked that woman dead in the eye, and said, God will provide, and, like, shouted it. Mm. And so I was like, so what happened? She said, out of the blue, some, somebody showed up with a whole bunch of donations of food. But I'm, I, I, re, I bring this up because look at Mother Teresa's response. She didn't yeah. see that and place that in that order of difficulty. For her, there was no difficulty. You just keep going exactly. and do what you do and let God do the rest. God will provide. I'm not worried. Bring the children in. That's it. End of story. So and there, it worked out. And there's your modern-day loaves and fishes miracle that Jesus performed. Um, you know, it, as he said, each one of us can do what he did and more. So there's Mother Teresa, um, you know, pulling off a Jesus miracle. Embodying that whole concept, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes. As for what I wrote, I'm trying to think of the name of the book and the author, but it's just not coming. But it's, it's on the website. It's, uh, the cover's pink. Okay. Um, okay, so here's what I wrote. This is paragraph four. Um, as I mentioned in my previous paragraph, in paragraph three, believing that miracles or even shifts in your perception are difficult, so it will be. Here again is the notion of holding conflicting beliefs in our minds. The negative beliefs are from one teacher, the ego, and this is so close to what you said. The positive ones are from the other teacher, the Holy Spirit. Who you follow at any time is up to you, but you can't follow both at the same time. And so we vacillate between chosen thoughts and actions to cope with reality. Attempting to break truth up into different compartments is an attempt to destroy it and choose the ego's perceptions as real. Sentence 5 states, orders of reality is a perspective without understanding. I take this as applying levels to reality is insane. True reality couldn't possibly be compared to this fantasy at all. Reality is a means by which we elevate the consciousness to perceptual levels that are in accordance with God's truth. I'll read that last one again. Reality is a means by which we elevate the consciousness to perceptual levels that are in accordance with God's truth. So we're not pulling them down to us. We're elevating our perception of reality upward so that it is in accordance. I would add that I've taught over the years, our will, our, our soul, the will of our soul, the, the mission of our lives here on this planet, our will is always in accordance with God. It's when the ego jumps in and distorts things that we get confused, upset, and angry, and lost. So by elevating that consciousness to, to maintain your experience of that connection, for me, that's the goal in maintaining that midline of peace and staying out of the world of euphoria and depression. And there's just peace. And you know from whom you are getting your 
guidance and support. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's a beautiful segue into the next paragraph. So I was going to say something, and then I was looking at it, and I'm like, no, I'm going to make that part, part of my commentary for the next paragraph. Okay. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Think you that you can bring truth to fantasy and learn what truth means from the perspective of illusion? Truth has no meaning in illusion. The frame of reference for its meaning must be itself. When you try to bring truth to illusions, you are trying to make illusions real and keep them by justifying your belief in them. But to give illusions to truth is to enable truth to teach that the illusions are unreal and thus enable you to escape from them. Reserve not one idea aside from truth, or you establish orders of reality that must imprison you. There is no order in reality, because everything there is true. Wow. Can't wait to hear what you have yeah. to say. But here's, I just wrote something brief. Our focus on the illusion, okay? Our focus on the illusion remains cemented in the belief that fantasy comes first and truth comes second. To reverse your thinking, to rely on truth, to correct your perceptions, is the first step to salvation from the illusion. Look at orders of reality as conditions, quote-unquote, to perceiving reality. I'll read that again. Look at orders of reality as conditions to perceiving reality. Using reality as the lens through which to observe the illusion is the only sane approach to escaping the nightmare. Our true nature becomes overlaid by perceptions that we are alone in the world. Our sense of safety is diminished in the face of perceived assault. To truly cultivate a feeling of safety, we must consistently connect to the divine who are all here for our guidance. And that kind of touches, I hadn't read this again, but that kind of touches on the last thing I said before reading the paragraph. Mm-hmm. And over to your side of this. Okay. Court. So, um, you know, I, this this is... This kind of takes everything that we've been reading to this point and I think um, crystallizes it in, in one of the absolute core teachings of A Course in Miracles. If you want to understand A Course in Miracles, um, you know, there are certain lines that, that just pop out, like, I am as God created me, or, you know, I do not know what anything is for. And one of those is this, um, you know, uh, Truth has no meaning in illusion. Um, you know, when you try to bring truth to illusions, you are trying to make illusions real and keep them by justifying your belief in them. But to give illusions to truth is to enable truth to teach that the illusions are unreal and thus enable you to escape from them. So this is, you know, very simply, we cannot bring truth to illusion. And this is um, a beautiful discriminant when you look at a lot of different spiritual systems. What so many of them attempt to do is to take illusion and make it holy. They try to bring truth in here, um, including all of the the main religions. You know, how does the Bible start? You know, um, it starts with God creating the world. And in that very, very start of the Bible, it already it it, it 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 buys into the illusion because if uh-huh. God creates the world, then everything in the world is of God, and now we've brought truth into illusion. What the course is saying to us is, no, you can't do that. You can't sanitize what's dirty with illusion. 
the only thing you can do is shine a light on where all the illusion, all the dirt is, and bring it back into truth. That's what the Course is doing. Um, and what it also means is that um, you can't sidestep the ego. Uh, Bill Thetford and Ken Wapnick, uh, following on Bill Thetford, uh, used the phrase bliss ninnies to talk a lot about uh, new agey types. And I, I was never that fond of it because I found it to be kind of pejorative. But what they were talking about are the people who um, essentially say, oh, no, my life is just fine. I, I've accepted God. God has come in. I love everybody. And yet they have not gone inward and brought the darkness within them to the light. They're just trying to, in a sense, repress the darkness and make it go away by um, creating a fantasy of light, a facsimile of light. Um, this, by the way, is the same thing that you see in evangelical born-again Christianity. All you have to do is accept Jesus and your life will be fine. Well, if they really understood what that meant, that would be true. Um, you know, because truly accepting Jesus and the atonement means you don't want anything else. And, you know, back to, you know, um, aligning yourself with salvation. But no, they interpret it in terms of bringing truth into the illusion. All you have to do is this one piece of acceptance, speak this phrase over, and everything will be fine. And you know what? For a lot of people, that works for a little while. But it almost never works all the time because if you don't bring the ego into the light, if you don't bring illusion to the truth, then the ego's still there. You know, it's like termites. Um, you know, you, you can paint over them, but the termites are still eating away and rotting at the structure uh, of your sense of self, and, and it's going to collapse at some point. So this is just so core, and it's a beautiful litmus test for assessing any spiritual system. Is this spiritual system, is this religion trying to bring truth into illusion uh, and make the illusion better in some way? Is it, is it telling me that all I have to do is something really simple and I don't have to do any inner work at really looking at where I'm holding on to judgments and darkness and bring them to the light? Or is this a system that's saying, no, you're in a world where your only function is to bring illusion to truth and that the truth lives in you through, you know, you can call it Holy Spirit, you can call it higher power. I mean, 12-step groups are a beautiful, beautiful spiritual system for bringing illusion back to truth. Oh, you thought you could cure your alcoholism on your own? Good luck. The only way is to accept that you're powerless over it because it's run by your ego and bring that piece of illusion back to truth. Um, so I, I, you know, I have, you know, multiple stars and brackets and things around this particular little section because I think it is that important. Um, and it's telling us at the end, there is no order in reality because everything there is true. You can't fragment oneness. Oneness is truth. Truth is oneness. And anything that's not oneness isn't truth. Um, and anything that, that tries to preserve the world of perception as it is, and make it somehow holy or beautiful, is sanitizing the illusion. Um, I fell for that trap for decades. Yeah, but, but, you know, when you stand on a mountaintop, it's so wonderful and beautiful. Well, it's wonderful and beautiful because in that moment, you are releasing your perception to the Holy Spirit, and you are seeing it that way. But if you get right down there in the weeds, there are animals killing each other in that beautiful mountain tableau. Everything is dying, um, you know, when, when you really get into it, 
Um, as one of my old mentors used to say, everything in this world has to kill in order to survive. God wouldn't make a world like that. Um, in God's world, love extends and love extends like itself. So everything not only lives eternally, what it creates also lives eternally and expands and extends um, the love that it was created from. Really, uh-uh. really different worlds there. Okay, back to you. <laughs> I, I, oh, my God. I'm just sitting here just listening, and it's like, oh. So <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved everything you said. There, there's something I want to – I never shared this before, but, you know, we're, we're nature lovers, Alan and I. And uh, there's something he said to me once, and it always stuck with me. He said this about 14 years ago. So we're driving along, and, and we live near the Ocala National Forest. And we're remarking on how beautiful it is. And he says, yes, but there's something somebody taught him when he was younger. And that was this, but never forget the violence. Wow. And so, yeah, isn't that good? I don't remember that's who what taught I, That's it. exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I believe it was his grandmother, yeah. And, and she was really good for phrases like that admire the beauty but never forget the violence and so when you're on the outside or on the mountaintop looking down yes it's lush and beautiful but the the true experience of it is like you said a whole different world and i also am reminded of some people that i've met through the years who may have had a problem like a substance abuse or whatever they have um or even even a bad relationship it doesn't matter but once they come out of that and they and they claim to have and I'm attaching to what did you say, Doctor Bill and Ken were calling these people bliss ninnies? Is that what you said? Yeah, bliss ninnies. I had to write right. it down. Bliss ninnies. Okay, I wanted to talk about the bliss ninnies. I, I'm sorry, I think I have to adopt it. <laughs> we got names for everybody around here. Um, Apparently, we do. But, but what I but what I what I what what I find disappointing in people who find God, get out of that abusive relationship or get over that substance. And they're on that spiritual high. And then eventually they um, start to judge everybody around them. And to see them in this beautiful state of oneness and and understanding, it's great. But then in several cases, I've seen them start judging everybody else around them. And, um, it's very disappointing, and um, it's another leg of their journey, I imagine, because even that I will look at with forgiveness and understanding. Like, okay, so they're on their journey. This is the next phase of their journey where they'll probably have some experiences that teach them that now this present judgment where maybe they were judged while they were in their situations. So these, these judgments are going to come to them, and it will open their eyes a little more, a little more, until they're fully awake. So I just wanted to touch on that. With the yeah, that's thing. a really good point. Um, and, I, you know, it brings me back to what I was saying about using that as a litmus test. Um, you know, any um, spiritual or religious system that's evangelical that says that you have to go out and convince other people that they need to believe what you believe, um, in, in my understanding, <clears throat> is, is not a path to truth. Because what it's saying is that, oh, some particular form within the world um, is the only way out. And, 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 you know, that I mean, God couldn't do that. This is like the people who go, well, you know, God is the real God and Allah is not God. You know, well, my God, <laughs> they're both the same. They're just two different words. Um, you know, God is God by whatever name you call him. 
So when someone is, is trying to convince you that, that you don't know and they do, in a sense, how, um, how secure could they possibly be in their system if they have to convince you about it? And, of course, you get this all the time. You know, well, you know, I want to save you because otherwise you're going to hell and the devil. Well, like there's a know, new sheriff in town. Ridiculous. It, 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 it speaks to a level of, you know, okay, from, of course, in Miracle's perspective, if someone doesn't agree with you or disagrees with you, your task is actually to be able to overlook that element of form and illusion that you are judging and perceiving in them as different and attempt to help to, to basically ask the Holy Spirit and Jesus to help you see the Christ in them, not because of what they're saying, but because of the truth of what they are. We change what's in us when we run into conflict rather than trying to change what's out in the world that seems to be conflictual so that we can feel more comfortable about the world we're living in. Um, I know. hope that was clear because um, I, I think, think it's a really it. important point. Yeah, okay. I just, I, I, it just, it, and I, you know, and of course I had to look at it the, the way I do, but you know how when somebody says something and you're like, in your mind, you're like, oh, what do I say? And so you just try to very gently say something to yeah. kind of kind of slip a coarse concept into the conversation. Yeah. And, and so there's this woman and um, she was a housekeeper. And uh, uh, she had some kind of substance abuse problem, and she had overcome it. And so she was telling me, because she was proud of herself, and I was like, wonderful, good for you. And I always step up to be encouraging in situations like that. But then the next thing out of her mouth is how she's talking about everybody else in her neighborhood, and they're all a bunch of heathens, because now she's all about the Bible. And everybody else is nothing but a heathen. And I'm like, okay, where do I go? Feel it out. Hear her out. It's okay. And then I was like, wow. Let's talk about judgment yep. for a minute. And, and she was like, what? I was like, yeah. You know, and I don't remember verbatim what I said. I said, but could you love them? Mm. Could you love them? How, how, do you, how do you love yourself now and hate them when you found all this beautiful love from God? And now you love yourself. But, but how can you love yourself and hate them? She was pretty quiet after that. And I was like, how well, did I say? Well, that's good. Can't serve two masters. About. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're judging, yep. you're not loving, um, which doesn't mean that we just roll over and, and you know, um, you know, it doesn't mean you go, OK, I'll go to your church or sure, I'll join you and, you know, hand out leaflets. Or, no, you know, um, truth doesn't need to be defended, but nope. but it does need um, the course says, you know, our protection um, I think it's a fine distinction, but defense implies attack. Protection to me just implies, you know, like, like a baby, not a baby, like, like, you know, I'm just not going to allow what I know to be truth and certainty to be impacted or affected, even to the point where I have to debate it with someone else. I know it's true for me, um, and I can allow my brothers to find their, uh, my brothers and sisters to find their own path back to truth and trust that, yeah, it might take them more time. It might take them more lifetimes. That's not a punishment. Time's just an illusion. And how do I know how many lifetimes I've spent already doing this? Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm a 20 times more slow learner than they are, but they just happen to encounter me at a point where, okay, I'm finally getting it. <laughs> 
Yeah. We can't make those judgments. Um, yeah, but, and, and you know, a lot, but we a lot can of protect what do. we know. Yeah, exactly, right. but but it, it it it's perplexing when people talk about how they're all about love and forgiveness and joy and all this stuff, and then they say racist things or come up with these harsh judgments of other people, and it's like, do you, like, do you hear yourself? Like, yeah, or they just need you to agree with them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here, let me recruit recruit you into my my story and my prejudices. No thanks. No yeah. thanks. I try I try my best not to form opinions at all, much less a judgment of that of a person or a culture. Anyway. Okay. Well, we're almost yes, at indeed. the end of this section. I yeah. Let's did a good job. I'll read paragraph six, and then okay. uh, we'll have a little discussion and uh, close. Um, okay. So paragraph six. Be willing then to give all you have held outside the truth to him who knows the truth and in whom all is brought to truth. Salvation from separation would be complete or will not be at all. Be not concerned with anything except your willingness to have this be accomplished. He will accomplish it, not you, but forget not this. When you become disturbed and lose your peace of mind because another is attempting to solve his problems through fantasy, you are refusing to forgive yourself for just this same attempt, and you are holding both of you away from truth and from salvation. As you forgive him, you restore to truth what was denied by both of you, and you will see forgiveness where you have given it. Well, this is what, exactly what we were just talking about. It, it, put it in a nutshell, my goodness. I know, and I wasn't even thinking of that or looking at. I wasn't ahead. either. Um, <laughs> I just remembered that lady, and that's yeah. what she did. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. I love this. Uh huh. You know, but you know, so again, here is the um, um, the fully operational uh, teaching from this section. Be willing then to give all you have held outside the truth. The entire world of perception, all your judgments, all the things you think you wanted and didn't get, all the things that you got that didn't turn out to be the way you thought they would, take all of those things you've held outside the truth and bring them to him who knows the truth and in whom all is brought to truth. That is, in the fullness of time, everybody is going to be doing this and giving their own little piece of illusion to Holy Spirit because it's inevitable. It's already happened. Time, according to the Course, is, is, is part of the illusion. And in the reality of God, it's already, you know, it, it came to, uh, con- uh, to completion the instant we thought that we did it. You know, but, but it makes the point, and this is one of those um, unsparing Course, uh, uh, you know, dualities uh, that, that I used to really have trouble with, um, no compromise. Salvation from separation would be complete or will not be at all. Again, you can't hold any piece of it back. You can't establish an order of difficulty. Salvation is, by definition, the complete undoing of any sense of separation, which means any sense of judgment, which means the world of perception can't be real. But you don't have to be concerned with how that happens because none of us have that big picture. We can't. Again, by definition, we're a little tiny pixel. We're just a little piece of that big picture. It's not up to us to do that. Whereas some people like myself say, you know, that's way above my job description. Um, So we don't have to be concerned with anything except our own willingness to have it be accomplished. Our willingness 
to look at whatever it is in our life and be able to bring it to truth, to Holy Spirit. He will accomplish it, not you. But, and then this is what we come back to, when you become disturbed and lose your peace of mind because another is attempting to solve his problems through fantasy, there's when we see someone who doesn't get it yet or hasn't woken up, it's not our goal to go in and persuade them. Um, It's our goal to realize that we've now made a judgment because they're doing it differently than we did and that it's our own mind that needs the healing, our own mind that needs the forgiveness, our own mind that needs to overlook what we have perceived as their sin. You know, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Well, forgive them, brother, because they know not what they do. They will eventually, um, but that's not our job. Our job, again, forgive our own minds so that we can remain at peace and also knowing that because minds are joined when you do that you are letting the holy spirit get to their mind in some way shape or form or if not there's someone else's who is ready and ripe for that miracle so this is just beautiful i mean this this whole section just you know came into sparkling life for me as we were reading it and um, discussing it over to you Okay. I made a note that, you know, belief is total. Like you were saying, you can't offer up a percentage of what you hold in fantasy. Belief is total. It's either 100% or it's not. So I just wanted to throw that out. I believe that's somewhere in the course. I just don't remember where. But um, I don't remember what I wrote, but here's what it is. Offer up willingly all that hurts you so so it can be purified in truth. You can't go halfway. It's all or nothing. If it hurts you or disturbs your peace of mind, Be confident that it is an illusion and that you are able to relinquish it. All that is needed is complete willingness. Nothing else is needed. You don't have to understand all the different aspects of the situation because understanding is not a prerequisite to acceptance. Simply accept that there is an error in perception and offer it up for correction. I love sentence five, but forget not this. When someone else's efforts to to disentangle themselves from their struggles disturbs your peace, you must forgive yourself for your own attempts. When you do this, you can look upon another's attempts with love and compassion. Another's behavior can only bother us when we feel guilty of it it ourselves. Forgiveness restores truth and releases you from illusion, giving you a more factual frame of reference for perception. Forgiveness is the true reality, while illusion and disillusionment are the false reality of the ego. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I feel complete with this. I mean, I think, yeah. the, you know, this section itself kind of moved us through the whole learning process to, um, you know, to its completion. I just love the whole process and the way we work together because I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't ahead of myself at all refreshed on this. I knew I had done this last month, so I, I said, okay, well, I, I trust it. But just the, the memories that came up and how it fit into this, because it, sometimes it's hard to find an example. You know, there was another woman who uh, made a, uh, I am extremely anti-racist, okay? And this woman made a racist comment to me simply because I was Caucasian. Huh. And, and I said, okay, here we go. All right. So I let her finish her statement, and I said, uh, I just want to make a comment. I said, uh I heard what you said, and I just want to say, that's a beautiful crucifix you're wearing around your neck. She had this beautiful gold cross. She's like, oh, thank you. I said, and would Jesus approve of what you just said about those people? 
Mm. And I just hold a steady, open, non-condemning gaze. Would you approve? I, I like to give. I like to give thoughts in the form of an open-ended question. What do you think? That woman was humbled for the rest of the evening. I forget where I was, but my goodness, people. Well, wrap your mind so around. So many, you know, so many uh, try to emulate Jesus in terms of uh, things that he wasn't about at all, like like sacrifice, um, rather than embracing and letting in the real living teaching example that he offered of, you know, resist not evil. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, love, love God and love your brother as yourself. I mean, if you follow those two quote unquote commandments, cause, cause there really is no commandment. God doesn't command. Jesus didn't command. It's guidance, you know, it, it's a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, it's a roadmap for coming home. So, you know, if you follow that those simple directions, it's like saying, you know, go north and don't veer, and you'll wind up at, you know, the North Pole and see Santa and the elves. Um, you know, um, okay. <laughs> if you follow Road those trip. directions, you're mm-hmm. going to get home. And but, but, you know, A Course in Miracles, Helen Shuckman, the scribe, uh, you know, was told that it's in Christian language because it's important to undo error at its source. Um, and that error was introduced into the system that we now understand as Christianity right from the get-go. That's how good the ego is at taking things and, and twisting them around. And so it's using the language of Christianity, the principles of Christianity, to say, you know, choose once again, brother. There's another way. That's what I really came to teach, um, and here I am helping present it to all of my brothers again. Yeah. And just to be quippy, I mean, if you're going to order up a full serving of miracles, don't eat just the appetizers. <laughs> pick, pick the whole thing. Don't just pick and choose which of the commandments you're going to follow because, you know, unless you can't, unless you can wrap your mind around thou shalt not judge, don't don't bother moving on to the rest. Stick with that till you, till you get it. You yep, know? Exactly. We, salvation is what? What was the line? Salvation from separation would be complete or will not be at all. Yeah, have the whole dinner. <laughs> have the whole thing. There you go. Okay. Well, I have my prayer picked out. Great. I'll, I'll, Sounds I'll good. And we'll we'll, we'll continue next well. month with the next section. Yes, absolutely. And that section is. I closed my book. The forgiven world. <laughs> the forgiven world. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to move on to section two. Oh, it's a beautiful, be beautiful section. Yes, and I'm even so excited about the following month because Shadows of the Past is coming up, and that's one of my absolute oh, yeah. favorite. I think you and I oh, did that God. once before, uh, or, or talked about it at one point. That'll be fun. But that could have been five years ago. So let's do it. It again. could have been. It <laughs> could have been. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank right. you well, once thank again, Doctor Bob. This was wonderful, and uh, yes. I look forward to. Um, your book coming out, let me know. I'll get the word out. So will all of our, will. our listeners you. will help. And um, I wish you peace and joy. And yeah. to all of you as well. your your co-creators at the Foundation for Inner Peace. And I look forward to our next talk. And then I am going to read the prayer. Beautiful. Thank you. Here we go. And this is from Choose Once Again, Selections from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. I am on page 24. 
No one can give what he has not received. To give a thing requires first you have it in your own possession. Here the laws of heaven and the world agree. But here they also separate. The world believes that to possess a thing, it must be kept. Salvation teaches otherwise. To give is how to recognize you have received. It is the proof that what you had is yours. You understand that you are healed when you give healing. You accept forgiveness as accomplished in yourself when you forgive. You recognize your brother as yourself, and thus do you perceive that you are whole. There is no miracle you cannot give, for all are given you. Receive them now by opening the storehouse of your mind, where they are laid, and giving them away. Amen. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.